This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of the Oil and Gas Startups. So every once in a while, scope outside of the uh, the realm of oil and gas startups when I find interesting technologies, or in this case, really interesting people. So today I have Kay McCall, who is the chair of the board of the Renewable Energy Alliance, also on the board of Flexitalic, EDPR, and Clean Energy Services. And the other day, Clay, or Kay was at my office and... I got to talk for about 15 minutes before I had to bounce into another meeting. And in that 15 minutes, Kay was really, uh, I was fascinated because she was telling me about the origination of wind power and her time at Enron and what is she, what she's doing today in the renewable energy space. And so, Kay, thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, really excited uh, to do this one. So real quick, tell us what you're working on today at the uh, Renewable Energy Alliance, just high level overview. And then these other companies that you're on the board on, if you just want to kind of give us a quick, uh, quick screenshot of what all you're working on today. I'd be happy to do it. And thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here today. So the Renewable Energy Alliance, which we now call Real Houston, for the most part, was originally going to be a networking um, association for people in renewable energy. When it launched in the first part of 2020. But what became obvious is it needed to be more than that. It needs to be, yes, the networking, but also content creator, provider for people who are interested in renewable in energy, but also a place where people in energy, all energies can meet, come together, have conversations, and with the goal of really pushing Houston to being the the true energy capital going forward. I love that. And so I want to rewind. You have a depth of knowledge and experience in the energy industry. How did you get in? What where was where was the genesis of your energy career? Well, so I graduated law school from the University of Houston and started as a trial lawyer. And when you're practicing trial lawyer, trial law in Houston, you were going to be either working on the healthcare side or the hydrocarbon side. And I was on the hydrocarbon side. Did that for eight years, went to work for a client um, in-house to be their general counsel. And they were in the gas processing, gas compression business on the engineering construction side. So did that for a number of years, got the call to go to work for Enron, which at that time, the late 80s was like the place late 90s, not late 80s, not that old, um, <laughs> late 90s was the place to be and went over there on the engineering construction side, but soon got into the wholesale power side. Yeah. So that was my first move from my move from molecules to electrons was at Enron. At Enron, they figured, you know, where the need is, we'll plug the people in and they'll figure it out. Yeah. They're also actually had structured training programs. If you were in the power industry, you could go learn about the oil and gas industry oh, and really? vice versa. Yeah. You know, back the old school when companies had like real training. Yeah. <laughs> um, once it um, did the big, the big dive, I went to work for GE originally on the power side here in Houston. 
um, worked with them a bit on their new acquisition of the Enron Wind business, and then worked with them on their their other power uh, holdings that they had. Then moved over to the oil and gas side of GE, and and did that for a number of years. And then in two thousand, that takes us all the way to two thousand eight. I had the phone rang. I had the opportunity to go to work as the general counsel of a a startup, basically startup wind energy company in Connecticut. I had two job offers. I had one to go there, one to work for Bechtel, and the one to go on the East Coast on the wind side was profoundly more lucrative financially. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go do that. Got my visa to go live on the East Coast because I'm a fifth generation Texan <laughs> and uh, did that. That's almost sacrilegious. Huh? I mean, it was really a little scary, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I now understand Goodwill Hunting and all the th- references in the movie. I mean, I got it now. But um, did that. We sold the business and I came back to Houston. And when I came back to Houston, uh, my passion was ignited for really helping Houston to transition into the into the the city it needs to be going forward in the energy industry. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to dive too deep into Enron. Um, one thing that I, I, I've started to realize over the last um, call it three years is how much of the energy industry has derived from Enron and. An interesting remark that you made to me the other day was talking about Enron's wind business and selling it to GE. And so can you tell me about the wind business and what Enron was doing there? And I'm assuming this was in the 90s, early 2000s, um, so really early um, for, uh, for wind power generation and then talk about the subsequent acquisition by GE. Yeah, and I wasn't involved with the Enron wooden business, but Enron had bought a company called Zond that manufactured wind turbines. Now, GE, I mean, Enron is wasn't ever a manufacturing business. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I don't know how much they did with that other than look at how they could like vertically integrate the manufacture with the development of, of wind projects. But that didn't go very far because it wasn't that long before Enron went bankrupt. And one of the first assets to be sold out of the bankruptcy was the wind company. Okay. And at, at that point in time in the U.S., the wind, the wind companies were pretty much um, not particularly high tech. Let's just say that. Yeah. They were small and not per- particularly sophisticated. And GE got a hold of this business and started putting the GE balance sheet and the and GE engineering behind it. And it was just hugely impactful to the growth of the wind industry in the United States, but that, that corresponded with when, so now we're in the early 2000s. Yeah. You're starting to see natural gas prices go up. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so you start seeing natural gas at eight bucks, the utilities who were heavily exposed on the natural gas side wanted to enter into long-term PPAs. Mm-hmm. No, they wanted to hedge their gas risk. I'm not sure they really wanted necessarily to go to wind, but they didn't have another option because they were skeptical about whether it was going to you know, blow up their transmission lines or whatever, Yeah, which it didn't. Yeah. But anyway, so you had the utilities started tiptoeing into wind, and at the same time, you had GE with the balance sheet 
and what you had were project financeable um, projects. Yeah. And so, you know, when grew on project finance, not corporate finance in the U.S. Can you can you explain what that actually yeah, means? Yeah. So project uh, project finance means if you have the land rights, you have an offtake agreement, and you have a contract to buy the equipment, lenders will come in and look only to the proceeds, the revenue from that project. So, so you don't that, that specific asset, that so, specific. I mean, that could be Colin and Kay and a few other people with a briefcase, <laughs> and they can go get these projects financed, mm -hmm. and you don't have to be a big company to do it. So now you have developers; mm -hmm. they're the wildcatters, right? Yeah. From from renewable energy, and at the same time, you know, you've got Texas was pretty open to this. I mean, George Bush had already. George Bush, the younger, yeah. had always been a proponent of it, as he, he said, we like wind. Yeah. Um, you know, wind brought in revenues to the a lot of these rural communities that mm -hmm. was very well received. Yeah, I think there's actually some clips of George W. Bush uh, I've seen recently on the internet of him. Like uh, leaning yeah. over and saying, we like wind. Yeah, yeah, talking uh, about wind. And so um, that's, that's interesting because he's always kind of, you know, oil and gas West Texas boy. That's how he's right. painted. But. Yeah. Well, and it wasn't interfering with anything with that, right? Yeah. I mean, it was in addition to, I mean, you could have, you could have wells and wind turbines on the same space and cattle and crops <laughs> and whatever else. Um, so you, you started seeing that happen. So the original wildcatters in Texas, if I can just blatantly steal the phrase, yeah. weren't necessarily uh, environmentally focused people. Mm-hmm. They were people, they're like, hey, here's a good opportunity. They're capitalists. They're yeah. capitalists. <laughs> and so it, it was very, very much capitalist-oriented. Uh, and then as utilities started getting, as, you know, finishing, if you will, almost their, their procurement process with hedging their natural gas risk, was about the same time you started seeing the Googles and others, you know, when you get to the late. Like you're getting to like, say, 2008, 2010. I don't remember the time period because this is off of memory, not off of education. <laughs> and um, we're all right with ballpark. Yeah. I mean, it's like, no, no one's but, but you started seeing the corporate power purchase agreements or mm -hmm. corporate PPAs. Yeah. And then you started you started having um, climate sensitive buyers who wanted to get in it or maybe they just wanted to get their power prices kind of yeah. lined up a certain way. Yeah. And so, which is a, a not to interrupt you, but that's an interesting talking point in itself. Uh, we actually talked about this, uh, Chuck and I, yesterday on our show, um, because my friend Tim over at Fervo Energy, a geothermal company, oh, yeah. they just closed around, and I think it was last year they did a uh, a deal with Google, um, where Google had a PPA with them um, to purchase their power, and so the uh, big big tech companies, Google, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, actually have a ton of. Um, uh, power and leverage uh, yes. when it comes to the energy conversation. So yes, and Tim, if you're listening, congratulations. Yes, yes, we gave him congrats. Yes, Tim, yeah. Tim, Tim Latimer's done a great job yeah, with Fervo. Really, yeah. really happy for him. Yeah, which I not to go too far down the yeah. uh, the, the the Tim uh, tunnel, but really cool, you know, story there. Completions engineer for BHP and oil and gas, and now using his uh, skill set and knowledge for geothermal. So. 
uh, he's going to be at Fuse. Uh, there's our plugin for Fuse. Yeah, uh, come check the, the, first so, plug-in for yeah, Fuse. the first plugin for Fuse. Yeah, the first plugin for Fuse. So sorry to interrupt you and go down that uh, that trail, but that really started around 2008, 2010 of the uh, tech companies starting to form PPAs for clean power. Correct. Okay. And you you know the you started getting more um, over time. You started getting more financial players who were coming in that wanted to, you know, private equity was coming in actually earlier than that. Like, for instance, when I was uh, in wind energy, we were initially backed by J.P. Morgan and the Canadian Pension Fund. Okay. And and they were in it. And then there were all kinds of banks who wanted to be in the project finance world. And what happens in project finance, if 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 three do it, then everybody wants to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's very much a we don't want to we don't want to explain how we got left out of this. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the FOMO the fear of missing out is real when it comes it, to well, finance. And the other thing that GE did, uh, GE was a tax equity player. So what GE would do, it would sell the turbines and take a tax equity position. Mm. So it's making profit off the sale of the turbines, and it's all offsetting. It's tax exposure by being an investor in the projects where the turbines are going in. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're they're almost vertically integrating. Yeah, they were on both sides. So- yeah. yeah. They were on both sides of it. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's all really fascinating. When I think of um, you know, you talk about the technology kind of being primitive. I think of, you know, trying to like mentally think because like what Gen 1 wind turbines look like, you know, how do they operate? Um, I was actually telling a guy in Austin yesterday, you know, a lot of people have no clue that Texas is the leading state in wind power generation. And I'm like, yeah, and we're, I grew up in Midland, Texas. I said, it's pump jacks, turbine rigs, and wind turbines. They're everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. And so a lot of people don't realize how much wind power is in Texas already just because, I mean, why would you ever drive out to West Texas if, if you didn't have to, right? Right. And so, um, and I mean, just over, I don't have any statistics on me. You, you might, but just the amount of wind power, uh, nameplate capacity that's been added into the market the last three years or so and continues to grow. I mean, I don't, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. So yeah, no, it, it, it won't. I mean, there's no reason why it should, because it's fairly compatible with other uses of the land. Mm-hmm. And if you can make basically a royalty after, a for having a wind turbine on your property, why wouldn't you want to do that? Because yeah. you give up a bit of a footprint, but you get paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and, um, there's also some really, you know, just like um, the tech companies have these PPAs to purchase um, power. I think that there's also this thesis for the future of Texas and West, Te- West Texas specifically where manufacturing is coming back to the United States and manufacturers need to co-locate with the energy sources. And so it's good for Bitcoin too, right? Yes. <laughs> you know how to tug at my, um, <laughs> at my heart. Kay's coming in here and buttering y'all, me up with Bitcoin. Y'all um, didn't see it, but his face just lit up like, <laughs> like Christmas. So all those things are really fascinating, uh, towards me. Now let's talk about, uh, what real is and, um, I understand, you know, very aligned in the future of Houston as maintaining its position as the energy capital and really transforming and evolving alongside that. I mean, you can see our sign here in the podcast, Evolve or Die. I that, love it. That yeah. It applies to everything. Uh, I want the t-shirt. You got it. I want the shirt. 
I don't know if we have the hat. I don't know if we have any. Sh- Come on. I know. We're you just exposed me. We're yeah. slipping on the merch. I will get some shirts but made. That, but that's specifically the for truth, you. though. It's evolve or die. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had Bobby Tudor on, on mm-hmm. the show, um, from GHP, formerly TPH and really talking. I mean, what I love about this is a lot of smart people around, Hey, what does the future of Houston and the future of Texas look like as, um, we add new energy sources, new technology to the mix. So tell me how did real come to come to be about how did how did you put this together yeah so there were a group of people who were working on this concept before i ever got involved and they basically wanted um, a networking opportunity for people in renewable energy because frankly if you went to something that was called energy in houston it was oil and gas and they weren't you know it's actually a really interesting dynamic um because digital wildcat is all about building community. And so if you say energy, I mean, historically speaking, over the last 150 years, it really is oil, gas, fos- or uh, uh, coal, and other fossil fuels. Um, so interesting dynamic there. You had a subset of people that were interested in renewables, but everything energy branded was hydrocarbons. Yeah, so there was no place to really build that community to network, which we've discovered that's extremely important to the younger generation of professionals also. They want to connect. And so originally that was the thought and they were like, well, we'll have individual memberships and blah, blah, blah. I said, no, if you can't sell it to companies and ultimately can't sell it to some oil and gas interests, then you probably don't have anything that's going to work in Houston. But coincidentally, this was the same time as the pandemic started. But okay. basically, I met Michael Skelly, who's very big in the in the renewable energy space, now working with John Arnold on on transmission. And he said, yeah, well, you go launch this because we'd sold the company where I'd been CEO. And I'm, you know, essentially an entrepreneur at heart, I guess. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, I have my own personal reasons for wanting to do it, which is a separate story. We started with basically four sponsors, mm-hmm. and I said, okay, that proves the concept. Now let's start creating value and see what we can attract. Yeah. And um, Pattern, EDF, Sonova, Wilkie Farr, a law firm, were willing to put money into it. It wasn't enough money to pay for anything, but it was enough <laughs> to prove the concept. So I was a volunteer for a couple of years. <laughs> like any like any true bootstrap like any founder, true right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, but I but I mean, I just feel so strongly about this. Yeah. I mean, I feel strongly in part because when I was on the East Coast, my son, who is now 28, was with me. My daughter, son-in-law, and grandkids were here in Houston. Mm-hmm. And when we came back, my son had graduated college. He came back here with his now wife. I'm like, for the first time in, in, in 10 years, my whole family's together, but they all need jobs. <laughs> and the younger generation, they weren't that interested in working in the hydrocarbon space, Yeah. but, um, but liked energy. And then my, my 42 year old son-in-law, hi, Mikey. Uh, hope he, he's, he subscribes to your podcast. Awesome. Shout out to Mikey. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Mikey. I won't give his last name, so he won't be too embarrassed. Um, yeah, he's more on the on the oil and gas side, and it's and it just kind of hit me if we don't do something, Houston's gonna just, um, you know, I don't know if it's twenty years or at some point. I mean, I want them to have forty years, and I want my grandkids to be here if they want to be here. Yeah, and so I became very passionate about um, advocating for and growing um, companies that relate to all forms, and there are companies that are moving here 
um, that are moving here because of the oil and gas talent. You've got two energy storage businesses, Key Capture and Broadreach, which are killing it yeah. in the storage area. Yeah. I mean, and you could go on down the line. I shouldn't have mentioned anybody because now I won't mention everybody. <laughs> but but these are ones, ConnectGen, and th these are ones who come from a background that didn't yell Houston, but they said, no, this is where the talent is. The same reason uh, Tim Latimer has Fervo here, right? It's like, we well, want to take advantage of the talent. Yeah, and I'm friends with uh, climate tech, clean tech, however you want to yeah. brand it. Tons of founders in the space that want to be down in Houston to leverage the technical, I mean, it's the most technical workforce in the world, oh, wait, right? Logistics? Yes. Finance? The port? Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> literally just, everything. I mean, And you just go and go. But a, a point of frustration has been that when the conversation started, and this was only in the last two years about energy transition, the energy transition with a lot of powers that be is carbon capture and hydrogen and nothing else. Mm -hmm. That's not enough. Carbon capture is great. I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. But that's coextensive with hydrocarbons, yeah. right? And so that's not going to extend out the professional opportunities mm -hmm. beyond what they already are. Yeah. And so that's great. We should have all of those. I want every oil and gas related job that we can possibly get to be in Houston to be in Houston. Mm -hmm. But we have to be open for business, for for whatever whatever energy storage solutions might come up, whatever, you know, wind, anything that has to do with it. It should be here because there's no epicenter for renewable energy anywhere. Yeah. It's open. Yeah. And so why not Houston, my, right? My thing is, you know, I've lived in Houston for eight years now and I'd actually never been here before I moved here. And so oh, wow. um, worked all over Texas in the oil field, but never been to Houston. And I came here and fell in love with the city. It's and, crazy, isn't it? Um, you know, you know, what's funny. Uh, my wife and I were on a vacation in Miami and uh, we had a, a taxi driver to come to the airport and he's asking, where do you live? And we're like, we live in Houston in a suburb called Katy. And his eyes lit up and he said, I'm moving to Katy. I'm from Venezuela. And he's like, all my friends uh, tell me that Houston is the land of opportunity. And that's always stuck with me. There's so much opportunity here. And what's cool about it in the tech space is that every city wants to become a tech city, Right. But what's your competitive edge? You know, what what's going to make you the new Silicon Valley? You know, Austin's been very successful in doing that. Denver, places like this. But Houston. You got to like, build it. It's got to build it. And what do you have? You have the energy know-how. You have the technical workforce. You have all the companies lean in into becoming the future of energy. And I just see that as an opportunity. Well, you know, what else we have here? We have a willingness to fail. We have a willingness to roll our sleeves up and get our hands dirty. Mm -hmm. And we, in fact, kind of like making fun of some of those other cities who don't have that. Right? <laughs> but that's going to be so critical. And I can't tell you how many people I've heard from in the last two years since I started doing this who have said, I came to Houston for X, never expected to like it. And now I don't want to leave here, Yeah, but I'm worried about what my job opportunities are going to be. And, and I, and that's, I mean, there's been some poor messaging, right? Mm -hmm. That, um, you mean, there's been the storyline about how um, renewable energy is an immediate and direct threat to hydrocarbons. That is not the case. We are in the midst of a transition. It is going to take God only knows how long. Nobody knows if they say they do, they're lying. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're 
50 years old and working at Exxon, enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, look, that's great. Some yeah. it's important what you're doing is important work and yeah. and good for you for doing it. Yeah. But what we have to have is opportunities for multiple kinds of opportunities. That was always the best thing about Houston is you could work your whole career here even though I did take that little, you know, adventure to the east. <laughs> I didn't have to, do you, but you do you not count it anymore. You're yeah, like, I'm true Texan. I don't no, count that yeah. anymore. I mean, it's like I always knew I was coming back. Um, and I, honestly, when that job was over, I could have moved anywhere in the world, and I came back to Houston. Yeah, and and I mean in Houston, like downtown near downtown. Houston. Yeah, and um, but you know, but we have to have that, and we got to get over this, um, we and them thing. Yeah, because it's not helpful and. Yeah, the, the story I like to, to go back to is because I'm very much, I'm, I'm very much involved in a, with the, you know, let's just say people under 40. You know, when they, when the call was made to go to the moon and Kennedy said, we're going to the moon in nine years or whatever it was, and they had to start staffing up mission control in Houston, they started hiring 21 and 22 year olds. And by the time Neil Armstrong worked, uh, walked on the moon, mission control, the average age of mission control was like 27. <laughs> the reason being they, they, they wanted those people because they weren't tainted by the belief that it wasn't possible. Yeah. And there's too much impossibility talk that goes on when the reality is nobody knows what the potential of anything is right now in the energy space. And to me, that's incredibly exciting. I'm jealous of you and other people who are younger who are going to be able to see what happens. But what I also want to do is make sure that people understand how important the industry is to them. If you're, if you're 30 years old, 20 years old, I don't know that the, uh, unless you're going to like cure cancer or something, I don't know how much of a bigger impact you can have than being involved in the energy industry. Because it touches everything. It's upstream from everything. It's everything. Everything matters. Every quality of life. That's why, you know, oil and gas has been important globally, right? Because of what it's taken to some other parts of the world. But we got to get rid of the BS that goes on. I love that you brought up, especially, um, I, I talk about this all the time, how fortunate I feel to work in energy right now. Um, I particularly feel very fortunate because... I started roughnecking on drilling rigs in mm -hmm. 2010, right before shale took off. And mm -hmm. I had so much pride mm -hmm. in uh, really changing the energy dynamics of the world in producing um, energy from West Texas. And I got to see the rise of shale firsthand. I mean, front row seat. And now really get to see what is the future of energy. And I'm look, I'm a technologist. I'm forward thinking. And I think about all the possibilities. And it seems limitless like endless and there's so much yes. opportunity nobody knows and i wrote you know i wrote a post the other day you know one i think it's sad how much energy has become politicized um which tends tends to happen but i wrote this post the other day and you can sorry getting an amber alert on my phone um you can take away anything related to climate change and if you just want to look at energy production here's here's the situation oil and gas it's played a massive uh, part of human society. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the most transformative technologies of human existence, right? 
still critical today, but it's a finite resource. The only solution is we have to discover new energy sources, improve technologies, and I think that's exciting as hell. Like, that's cool. And so you can even back out climate change or any of these things and just think of it from a pure energy production standpoint. And, you know, one thing that I tell everyone as well is that energy production is also very bound by geographical limitations as well. We don't have hydro in West Texas because there's no water. Yeah. But have tons of wind, have tons of sun, have tons of oil and gas. Up in the in the Puget Sound, up in the Northwest, you have you have hydro. Um, up in Canada, tons of hydro, and so it's also very dependent on what resources you have as well. And then just uh, you know all the technology that's going to come out around batteries and electric vehicles. And I don't know if you've seen. Um, I made this post. Uh, one of my uh, VC buddies that I follow from Breakthrough Ventures posted this. He lives in California and he has a Tesla uh, uh, Powerwall. Mm-hmm. And now Tesla has a deal with PG&E where you can uh, um, essentially have bidirectional uh, mm-hmm. power transmission. And so they gave him a notice, said, hey, we're going to charge up your batteries at your house. That way we have energy um, at mm-hmm. peak demand between 6 and 8 p.m. And then they paid him 20 bucks to draw down his batteries. And mm-hmm. I think it was something like uh, 15 meg. There's like 2,000 homes that are enrolled mm-hmm. in that program. And they were distributing uh, 2,000 megawatts of or of power to right. the California grid. That's cool as shit to me. <laughs> right. There's so many. There's so many opportunities. There's so many directions to go. And I mean, you're spot on when you say it's very different depending on where you are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and there are going to be some places that, or if you're in in a very remote place that transmission, maybe outside of the U.S., maybe transmission lines are never going to get to you. Maybe you need solar because that's going to be your best opportunity. Yeah. But, you know, if you're in Nova Scotia, let's not do solar, right? <laughs> I mean, let's do something else. Yeah. And and every technology is going to have a downside to it. Yeah. And we're going to have to make value decisions along the way. And that's why getting involved to me is really important. And also that's why raising the energy IQ of people, like you're trying to do here, is I should say like you're doing here is uh, <laughs> I didn't take not, that I, 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 didn't, I didn't take that as a I dig. don't want to marginalize <laughs> anything here um, is super important because for so long people just took it for granted and now we're seeing that maybe you shouldn't yeah and now and and now the decisions are distributed right I mean now you can make your own decision about what you want to do mm-hmm. it's not all people telling you what you should do yeah but um, I think. Uh, so you said that uh, real uh, really started in twenty COVID during twenty twenty. Oh, I'm yeah. assuming. Okay, oh, yeah. that's when everybody starts a nonprofit during a during a <laughs> pandemic. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, we started Digital Wildcatters, and it oh, sure right. it sure felt like a nonprofit. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah, it was. I'm sure too, you were yeah. getting paid the yeah. same thing yeah. I was getting yes, paid. Yes, I was right there with you. So, <laughs> um, but what's pretty fascinating to me in these last two years is. You know, I was trying to pitch investors back in 2020 and I had a VC up in New York uh, City and they're like, Colin, we love you. We love the vision, but oil and gas, it's, it's dead. It, and I mean, they had every reason to believe that. Oil prices just went negative, you know, every, and I mean, that was ESGs making a heavy, heavy push. You fast forward two short years later and we see the consequences of what happens with bad energy policy. And so this is why I'm like, you can't have infighting and pushing and shoving from both sides because who loses ultimately the people lose. Um, I mean, we all want to have access to cheap, reliable and secure 
energy. And if we don't have real conversations and work together to make that happen, then it Well, I also believe firmly that the people whose lives are going to be most impacted should be at the table. There's not a lot of 70-year-old white dudes that are going to be impacted by energy decisions (laughs) that are going to be made in the next 10 years, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we need to bring people in at an earlier age, even if they're not in the industry, although I think they should be, um, that they just need to understand it. And so that they can, it can be a part of what they care about and, and can talk about. I think you're starting to see that this is a cool story. You might, you might appreciate it. But the other day, um, a software engineer from Netflix reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, it looks like tech cycling down. He's like, I've seen all your content on energy can you tell me some good energy companies that may need software developers? And so you're starting to see that, that, you know, we've always had this problem. How do we attract the best talent? And it was hard over the last decade competing with the Facebooks and Apples and and those types of companies. But once you teach, you made a comment earlier, it's like once people actually get in the industry and they move down to Houston, they become hooked, become obsessed with it. I've heard that story. I can't tell you how many, how many times. And so Really, um, storytelling, something that the energy industry hasn't been great at um, historically is important. I I had at one point I had a LinkedIn post about that because I went to a presentation, say maybe in, I don't know, maybe April. I don't remember when it was. But after the the Ukrainian invasion had started and it was a presentation to people who sit on the boards of energy companies, meaning mostly oil and gas. And the investment banker was saying, I put a slide up that says, what are the oil and gas companies doing with the mountains of cash that they're going to get from this? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't even understand that that's horrible messaging. I yeah. mean, that's like, the, I mean, I understand that that's an issue, but it's poor messaging. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was just tone deaf. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the, seeing this, well, the, here's an opportunity to work on some of these things that the younger generations care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the guy said, you know, how much stock can you buy back? I mean, you can only buy back so much. I'm like, you're, there's such an opportunity to message in a positive way that could invigorate people either working in the oil and gas industry or might be considering it mm-hmm. versus kind of taking that, oh, we're going to have a big windfall from this war and Lottie Dell, what are we going to do? Yeah. And to me, it was a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. It was in a small setting. But it was reflective, I think, of the the fact that the messaging has not been well thought out for so long. For too long, it was too negative, and it was denying things that that other people were past denying, mm-hmm. and it impacted the credibility. Yeah. And there's a message there that can be positive, and the companies are starting to see it. I think Oxy's doing a good job with that. Yeah. We I, just... <laughs> It's funny, we just talked about that yesterday, too, about what Oxy's doing with carbon capture and, um, you know, really forward thinking. And and how do you what's what's the next evolution of an EMP look like? And and they message it well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's and it's not just the doing, it's the messaging. Yeah. And it's like you have a message, but but you're but you need to quit worrying about. You know, hating wind or solar and you need to be more focused the messages are just outdated. Yeah. But they're starting yeah. to turn. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think, yeah, I think they're starting to turn. And I think that you're starting to see that. And, you know, there's some pretty cool things out there happening too. Um, like Matt Gallagher and what they're doing comes to mind right now. You know, they're an energy company, 
pure to, pure play energy company. It doesn't matter if it's oil and gas. They're looking at solar projects, wind projects. They want to produce energy and they want to make a return mm -hmm. doing it. And so I think that you're starting to see some of these new age energy people um, that even came up through, you know, pure oil and gas that are starting to look at, okay, you know, how, how can we build out um, energy infrastructure and take the expertise and skill sets that we have? So I just find that, I find that to be very interesting and opportunistic. And I just, you know, I think one, anything in life is about how you, how you frame things in right. your mind. And so you can either have this negative <laughs> mindset or you can be optimistic and uh, see the good and everything. And so it's good when you meet people that have a mission, they're like, Hey, let's quit all the fighting and bridge the gap. It's not productive. And, and it's also you know, the, the message that comes out in Houston and sometimes in Texas that there's an attack on oil and gas out of wherever, whether they think it's solar, whether they think it's this or that. The oil and gas market is not defined by Houston or the state of Texas. It's a global market. <laughs> it's a global market. And <laughs> if you want to say that, you know, somebody in Texas is going after or some policy in Texas is going to impact the global oil and gas market, yeah. that's just not true. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's some debate there where people think, you know, if, if the United States is the uh, marginal producer, that there is some amplified effect. But yes, people tend to forget that it's global market. So yeah. what we do out in Midland doesn't affect or Houston. Global. Yeah, or Houston. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and my view has always been we want all the oil and gas jobs and discouraging renewables in Texas is not going to impact the future of oil and gas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, get those renewable energy jobs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at this from an energy demand uh, perspective, you know, estimates say, hey, energy demand is going to go through 2050. Mm -hmm. That's not definitive. Could keep going for who knows how long. But um, with that, I mean, even if you assumed uh, oil and gas's allocation of energy production uh, dropped down on a percentage basis, mm -hmm. could still be 100 million barrels a day. So there's mm -hmm. still, I mean, look. What are you, what are you um, protecting or, or fighting against? You might as well get all of those jobs and, um, like, I, don't, I just don't understand why you can't have it all. But, see, I think this was when – I, when I finished being the CEO of the Wind Energy Company and came back to Houston and started looking around, I went to – and this is 2019 – I went to a couple of conferences that were energy conferences, mm -hmm. and I was still hearing people – they were, they were still climate deniers and there were still like renewable energy bashers. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why are you wasting your time on this? Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but this proselytizing that way, I think really impacted the credibility of the oil and gas industry in some respects. Mm -hmm. And it also created this idea that the, the jobs in the industry were under attack because of the growth of renewable energy. This is a transition, people. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's still there's still problems and challenges to solve on the renewable energy side, mm -hmm. but this is a transition. And I never have heard anybody in the renewable energy industry saying, "Yeah, well, I'm going to go after, you know, I want to go after those oil and gas jobs." Nobody even you go to a renewable energy conference, nobody talks about oil and gas. Nobody, nobody even really talks about climate change. It's not yeah. really in the conversation. Yeah. It, they're talking about 
whatever, what's the latest technology, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, it's like, we're, it's, it's not involved in that. Yeah. But if you think about it, the, I've, I've thought about this, like, where does this come from? I mean, the underpinnings of the oil and gas industry is really based on the theory of scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've got a depleting resources. We want to make sure we get our share. The underpinnings of the renewable industry is we have an inexhaustible resource. Yeah. It's a growing pie. It's a growing pie and and the the fuel never runs out. Mm -hmm. The, uh, it's interesting that it's really interesting what you brought about or what you brought up about the events and the types of conversations and the way that people think there, because I look at what happens on Twitter and this is kind of like a... Uh, You're a brave man. <laughs> Twitter is a uh, very interesting place, but you have strong camps for nuclear. You have strong camps for renewables. You have strong camps for oil and gas. And here's one thing that I do see is renewables fights with oil and gas. Renewables fights with nuclear. And I'm a big fan of nuclear. And I uh, don't know if you ever want to dive mm-hmm. into that topic or not. But um, the uh that's the opposite of what i hear from you and what i've seen personally too is like you talk to people on renewables and it, it's not i've never been in a room with someone where we're shouting at each other and yelling <laughs> it's just not it's just not in the dna of what it's about i mean and and as you know you and i talked about this before there are people on the extreme ends of either renewable energy or oil and gas and we're just going to have to leave them there because they're never going to budge. Yeah. But what we need, so those are the two poles. We got to build, build a, we got to plant a third pole in the middle. Yeah, I think we talked about this. If you look yeah. at a normal distribution curve, ninety yeah. five percent exactly. in the middle is is who we got to work with. <laughs> yeah, because they're gonna, you know, the the fighting, and and Twitter's particularly bad about that. I'm only on Twitter because of the Houston Astros. And I, <laughs> they're that important and to even you. Even <laughs> then. I'm like, how do these people have these stupid takes? Yeah. How you got a team that's leading the American League yeah. and you're nitpicking on every little thing? Yeah. And and so I do think there's a little profile of a certain personality that's attracted. I agree. So I'd like to say that I don't know that that's representative. Yeah. But I mean, come to one of our events and I think, well, you guys had a little representation at our last yeah. event. Yeah. And it's just... You know, it's just fun. It's positive. It's, you know, we're also trying to build a community that's very diverse. Yeah. So let's talk about that before we end this podcast. Tell us about the events. Tell us about the community. Um, I mean, this is this is your time to, to, to pitch uh, the events and get people out to them. All right. Well, what we're really focused on now, or one big focus area that we have, is creating a strong community of early career professionals. Okay. Like today, we had a, um, a webinar on networking. And it was just kind of a how-to and some tips on networking. Uh, but when we're going to have, we have other ideas for other events now that we know that we can plan in-person events. Yeah. But we really um, try to balance giving knowledgeable content for people who want to learn networking. Well, I don't think we'll ever be a let's have a happy hour once a month. Yeah. I don't think that's our, I don't think that's our lane. Yeah. Um. What we want to do instead is have those networking events that are different sizes and different types. Mm-hmm. We had a field trip to, we call it a field trip, to Pattern Energy's um, control room where they control the renewable energy assets that they're operating. That's pretty we cool. We had people go to that. Uh, we'll have a leadership dim, uh, dinner in November 
that's more of an executive dinner. That's one of the few events we charge for. Yeah. Because most every other event we've ever had has been free unless we're co-sponsoring with somebody. Got you. Yeah. Um, in part, well, our sponsors let us do that. Yeah. Um, but also a lot of people who need to know and need to learn and need to connect don't have a budget. Mm-hmm. And so, and yeah. it was particularly true in 20, 2020 and 2021, mm-hmm. but, but we, we want it to be, we want to build the community that you want the industry to look like. Yeah. And you have to be intentional about that or it won't happen. Yeah. And so it's a fun group of, um, people we've got companies, you know, we got BP as a sponsor. We've got startups, Tim, if you're listening to this, I'm coming for you, um, <laughs> that are sponsors and and everything in between Sonova, Oceaneering, yeah. um, Mercuria. I mean, now I've done it. I mean, there's over 30 sponsors and I can't. That's awesome. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> but they're very supportive of having content that is attracting, continually attracting people to the community. Yeah. I mean, we're all about community building. And I think, you know, our thesis of getting people together is you have these collisions and those collisions are the catalyst for ideas and opportunities and collaboration. You never know. I can't tell you how many times I've ran into random people that three years later down, down the road, we're working together. And so, um, you know, I'm really glad coming out of COVID that we have the opportunity to, to have those in-person interactions because they're, they're vital and important. And I mean, that's why I love Houston because, you have the opportunity to run into those types of people. Right. So um, if someone's interested in one, becoming a sponsor or two, uh, joining the community and uh, coming to the events, how can they find real, uh, what's the website URL? Are you on LinkedIn? So, um, I have to apologize for the URL. I made it up sitting on my sofa <laughs> and it's, it's, it's crappy. It's renewableenergyhouston.org. Okay. But we're, Google that's, finds us pretty quick if you do real Houston. That's not as bad as, uh, as, as you were making it. So it's pretty long it, though. Yeah. And then we're at, we're active on LinkedIn and that's our only social platform that we use. All right. And you can sign up for a newsletter. We've gotten our newsletter following is over 3,000. You'll appreciate that. We got a 40% open rate there on you our go. newsletter. She's, yeah, she's dropping the uh, marketing statistics. For, for, for now, marketing man. people, just, they're if, like if, going, if, you don't, if you don't know, if you're going, just an uh, oil and gas engineer, I mean, 40% open rate is uh, amazing. It's stellar. So Yeah, and it's, very good. and it's, well, our list is made up of people who've either signed up specifically to get on the newsletter or they've registered for one of our events. Yeah. And we only send a newsletter if we have something to say. Awesome. You're not so spamming people. No, I mean, <laughs> you may go a month and you don't see anything yeah. because it's like, oh, our event hasn't come together yeah. yet. So if you're listening to the show, uh, I'm going to check out, uh, I, did, I had to miss the last event, but uh, Matt uh, from our team got to make it and had great things to say. So hopefully I'll get to make it to the next one. Um, if you guys want to check it out, We'll, uh, we'll leave a link in the show notes. That way you don't have to go Google it yourself. We'll, we'll make it easy for you. Okay, thanks for coming on the show today. Um, amazing uh, breadth of knowledge in renewables and wind and looking forward to transforming Houston alongside with you. It's exciting. I, I look forward to our collaborations. It's the beginning of a beautiful relationship. Absolutely. <laughs> Guys, if you like this show, make sure to share it. Uh, share it with a friend, text it, email it, share it on LinkedIn, share it on Twitter. Appreciate y'all. We will catch you next episode. Come, 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 come.